You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Though previously believed to be the best solution for reducing the risk of restenosis, studies now show that drug-eluting stents, or DES, may actually be more prone to late, sudden occlusion of the coronary arteries. In fact, in long-term data presented from the RAVEL trial, the original trial reporting a remarkable decrease in the rate of restenosis with DES, the long-term incidence of death or heart attack was not significantly different between DES and bare metal stents. Indeed, there was a non-significant trend toward better outcomes with the bare metal stents. Now physicians are realizing that DES may lead to the need for prolonged therapy with Plavix in patients treated with DES. Is it possible that the advancement of such technology and achievements are just creating a cycle of disease and excessive unnecessary continuing procedures, not to mention expensive medicine costs? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Roxana Mehran, Director of Clinical Research and the Data Coordinating and Analysis Center at the Cardiovascular Research Foundation and Associate Professor of Medicine at Columbia University Medical Center. Dr. Mehran has a long-standing research interest in cardiovascular topics, including intravascular ultrasound, angioplasty, and coronary stenting. Dr. Mehran, welcome to the show. Thank you. What do you think is the role of the FDA on studies such as these, and can we actually trust what the FDA tells us? Well, I can tell you uh, wholeheartedly that I fully trust the system that is in place right now with the Food and Drug Administration, having worked with the FDA very, very closely for many of the clinical trials that are ongoing in the United States. The safety of the American patients is the first and foremost important aspect of everything that the FDA does for on, on, on devices and drugs. And certainly on the device side, the oversight of the FDA on these clinical trials that are taking place in the United States and American patients is certainly very well done and in a very good uh, way attempted and uh, scrutinized. So I'm, I fully trust the system, knowing uh, how uh, trials get through, how the trials are presented, the scientific evidence uh, and safety and efficacy must be proven before a device is approved to be to go to market. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad you are a believer and you are closely involved with the FDA. Can you elaborate on what recent trials you've been involved with? Well, the clinical trials that you know I've been involved with with the FDA are are uh, several. In fact, on the first the first thing is that I've worked very closely uh, with uh, with the FDA on on uh, the one trial is a what we call the matrix registry, which is a registry of patients who receive drug eluting stents, and this is a post market surveillance looking at the safety issues of drug-eluting stents in all comers outside of pivotal clinical trials. And when we wanted to do this at Columbia University, we applied for what's called an investigator-driven IDE, which is an application to the FDA that allows us to perform the research and actually look at the outcomes of patients who receive drug-eluting stents. We've worked very closely with the FDA in sharing all of the data, all the safety and efficacy data to them, and they've been absolutely uh, a very uh, good relationship in that way. There are many other trials, obviously, as uh, on uh, when I'm on scientific advisory boards, and I've sat through many, many of these panel meetings, et cetera, to see that the process, and these are open public forums for anybody who wants to see 
This is our government, and they're there to uh, make sure that the safety and efficacy of patients is the number one priority for them. So we are now in May of 2007, and if someone is going to receive a stent today or tomorrow, how many of these stents are going to be bare metal stents versus medically impregnated stents, or DES? Well, I think that's a good question. I think that it will all depend on the patient. The first thing that I think we need to do as clinicians is to be sure that patients are able and willing and can afford to be on prolonged antiplatelet therapy before we make a choice of whether it's drug-eluting stents, bare metal stents, or even bypass surgery or medical therapy in patients. So I think it's important to take a good history and a physical and understand whether or not they're going to need a non-cardiac surgery that requires stopping the antiplatelet agents for whatever reason. I think it's very important to make sure that the patient has a history of compliance on medication. Third and most important is that they can actually afford to uh, mm-hmm. to pay for long-term antiplatelet therapy. This is not without its uh, costs. There are cost issues here. Uh, in other words, or sounds like the interventional cardiologist actually has to do a good social history now. I think so, and and I think that most, you know, interventional cardiologists, though they have a bad reputation, I do think that they are excellent clinicians, and uh, and this really becomes part of the whole taking care of the patient as a whole, not just as arteries. Is it safe to say that if you have a DES placed that you are bound to take Plavix for the rest of your life? Well, I don't think that we have any uh, answer to that question for that matter. I think that uh, there's a general recommendation to place patients for at least one year of therapy, and you should note that that's not based on any major data. I think that we just, uh, there's just a a feeling that one year is probably better. There is also evidence that Plavix use can prevent heart attacks, et cetera, from other trials. So I think that there's a benefit rather than the risk, and and I think that for everything, in everything we do in in medicine, there's a risk-benefit scale that we use, and hopefully the benefits usually outweigh the risks of everything that we do, including medical therapy or the use of Plavix for life or one year or whatever duration. You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm with Dr. Roxana Mehran, a longstanding researcher of cardiovascular topics, including intravascular ultrasound, angioplasty, and coronary stenting. Dr. Mehran, do you think currently we're, we're doing too many PCIs or that we're actually doing them in the wrong people and we should reassess who is getting these procedures? No, I think that clinicians need to sort of take a step back and uh, be sure that, you know, the patients who are undergoing PCI are for a good reason. I think certainly in, in the setting of ischemia, in the setting of unstable patients, PCI has shown to be beneficial, and I think there's ample data on that. I'm not sure what you mean by doing PCI in the wrong people. I think that if patients have coronary disease of significance who have evidence of ischemia and are having symptoms, there's no question that PCI relieves symptoms. And in the unstable patients, it probably saves lives. And I think that if that evidence is in front of us, then we are performing PCI in in the right number of patients. If we're performing PCI in non-obstructive lesions in stable patients, that's what I meant. I think that's a different that's a different story. And I I don't know that there are many clinicians that are doing PCI in non-obstructive lesions. Well, there is this well-known oculostenotic reflex, which I like to talk about. 
and see if it pushes any cardiologist's buttons. But it, it seems if someone sees something, they want to do something about it. The COURAGE trial obviously has taught us a lot about not doing something with someone with stable disease and no ischemia. Would you agree with that? Well, I think that the, the COURAGE trial didn't show us anything new. We've always known that PCI relieves symptoms, and that was shown very, very nicely in the COURAGE trial. I don't think that there was ever a claim that PCI uh, was going to save lives in the stable population and that we would have a reduction in death or MI. And that's exactly what the COURAGE trial showed. It showed that PCI improves symptoms but does not change uh, the um, incidence of death or MI and that it's basically the same. So I think that, I mean, COURAGE um, is a very well-conducted study, but a study that was performed mostly in VA hospitals and in Canada. And in fact, if you do analysis of the U.S. non-VA hospitals, that there were actual uh, benefits for PCI. I still don't think that when you look at a trial, it's wrong to dissect and look at subgroup analyses. I think it's very, very important to look at the trial as a whole. And the trial as a whole showed that PCI did not improve symptoms, definitely relieved angina more so than and there was actually a crossover on the medical side. And there's a lot of details that we can go over. But certainly at five years, patients who had optimal medical therapy with PCI had a you know, 74% reduction from angina with long-term follow-up. And if in the first and second year, they had a higher rate compared to optimal medical therapy. So that's important. There was no difference in their death and MI. So an initial strategy in stable patients uh, using optimal medical therapy is probably not harmful, but one can expect that these patients will need PCI because there was a very large crossover to needing PCI at some point for better angina relief. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm with Dr. Roxana Mehran, a longstanding researcher of cardiovascular topics, including intravascular ultrasound, angioplasty, and coronary stenting. Dr. Mehran, have the results of the COURAGE trial at all changed your practice style? Myself, personally, no. Uh, I think that we always look at the, um, the patient, their symptoms, and their presentation. In a stable patient with obstructive disease that is in an area of a large territory with a lot of ischemia, I believe that PCI is very beneficial, improving quality of life and symptoms so that these patients can go back to work and feel good about their life. The quality of life is a very, very important endpoint that perhaps we should be more focused on and we're not. And I think that uh, for me personally, it doesn't change my practice. And I think that courage in no way should deter people from PCI uh, I think the one thing you can do is offer optimal medical therapy in the patients and to feel okay as a clinician to do that because you can say that maybe that these patients will be okay, but that's only for the population that was studied. And I think that that's another important message from Courage. If we leave the ivory tower and go out into the... To the um, real world. Real world, thank you. Do you think that if there was no financial incentive whatsoever for doing any invasive procedures, if socialized medicine was here and cardiologists were getting paid, no matter what they did, do you think less stenting would be done in this country? 
I hope that that's not the case. I hope that we're not driven by the finances to treat our patients. I know that in socialized countries such as Sweden, that uh, with socialized medicine and medicine available for all, that PCI is being performed. And in fact, uh, Dr. Lars Valentin was one of the principal investigators of of, uh, of one of the trials that did show that early invasive therapy in patients with unstable syndromes was beneficial and uh, saved lives. So I believe that cardiologists are getting a bad rap out there. And I do feel like we have to play defensive uh, medicine to some degree and defend our position as as clinicians and uh, physicians who deeply care about their patients. And I hope that all of this publicity regarding the COURAGE trial somehow goes away and that we come back and focus on the patients. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments or questions, please send us an email to xm at reachmd.com and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening to the show.